This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hello and welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. The day that you hand a child a set of car keys is a huge day for everybody. For the kid, it's a big boost in independence and ability to get anywhere and hang out with friends and go places and do things. And it's also hopefully a sign of maturity for them. And for the parents, it can be absolutely petrifying, incredibly scary because of exactly the same things. It's independence. The child can go places and do things, and you're going to have a lot less control. Hopefully, it won't be too much of a trauma for the parents because you will have trained your child properly or your child will have had good education on how to drive. Now, here's the problem. Most of the driving literature for parents focuses on how to teach teens how to drive, but it doesn't really explain why teen driving is so dangerous in the first place, and it doesn't give parents a plan to preempt the hazards that teens face. In today's show, we're not going to make the same mistake. Instead, we're going to be talking about the causes and the situations that are most likely to lead to teen crashes, and we're going to talk about how to take specific proactive steps before and each time a teen gets behind the wheel that can counteract them. We'll also get into some hot-button topics like how brain development affects driving, why driver's ed does not produce safe drivers, how and why to prepare a flight plan for each drive before handing over the keys, and how and when to say no. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brott, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. When I have an asthma attack, I feel scared. It's like tiny nails in the air poke my lungs. I start to cough. Sometimes I, my parents have to take me to the hospital. Today, one out of 13 children suffer from some form of asthma, accounting for nearly one-third of all emergency room visits. I feel like I'm choking. It's kind of like an elephant is on my chest. A little whistle sound comes out when I breathe. But while your child may suffer from asthma, asthma doesn't have to make your child suffer. There are simple ways you can prevent your child's next attack. To learn more, call 1-866-NO-ATTACKS. That's 1-866-662-8822. Log on to www.noattacks.org or call your doctor. Because even one attack is one too many. I feel like a fish with no water. Brought to you by the EPA, the Ad Council, and this station. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and my guest for this part of today's show is Tim Hollister, who's the author of Not So Fast, parenting your teen through the dangers of driving. Tim, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. So this is the kind of thing I think a lot of parents maybe who have kids that are younger or older than this particular age group, right around 15 or 16, might be saying, oh, I'm going to listen to something else. I want you to tell me what you just told me just a second ago uh, about how you happened to write this book, because I think that right there is going to get enough people to stop what they're doing and pay more attention. Uh, my 17-year-old's 17-year-old son, Reed, uh, died in a one-car crash in 2006 here in Connecticut. And nine months later, Connecticut suffered back-to-back multiple fatality teen driver crashes. And at that point, our governor said enough is enough, and she appointed a task force to uh, overhaul our teen driver laws and appointed me as a parent. And serving on that task force, I got a 
re-education in the dangers of teen driving, I learned that I really had not been well informed during the 11 months that I supervised my son's driving. And serving on the task force, I came to two conclusions uh, that most of the literature that's available to parents does not explain why teen driving is so dangerous and most importantly, doesn't explain to parents what they can do day by day before their teens get behind the wheel to prevent the most dangerous situations, which are really quite predictable. So my focus is not driving, and my book is not about driving, it's about parenting. And so in 2009, I started my blog, national blog for parents of teen drivers, which is called From Reads, R-E-I-D-S, Dad. And about two years after that, some national traffic safety organizations came to me and said, you've got enough blog posts here for a book, and that has hmm. now been turned into not so bad. Okay. Well, so let's talk a little bit about from the very beginning. I mean, you mentioned something very intriguing about why teen driving is so dangerous in the first place. And I think a lot of people would say, well, because they don't pay attention to things, because their brains haven't developed, or all the kinds of things you hear in the media. But what is really going on there? Why is it so dangerous? Well, uh, the brain development is, is the start, and it's not just that teens don't pay attention. The human brain is not fully developed until we reach about age 22 to 25, and the part of the brain that provides judgment and restraint is the last part that develops. So it is, it is physiologically true and also physiologically unalterable that teens are uh, given to thrill-seeking and they really don't appreciate risk, and that's just something that uh, parents of teen drivers need to understand. You, your, your son or daughter can be a straight-A student and a, a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout. You can't make their brains develop any, any quicker. It's just a, a physiological fact that needs to be dealt with. But, but there's some other reasons, that, which I'll, I'll run through very quickly. Okay. It takes about three to five years uh, to become a safe driver. So compare that to the 20, 40, 50 hours that we require in most states for a teen to get a license. It's really a drop in the bucket. We're putting people on the road when they have just the barest uh, uh, notion of what it is to, to drive a car, uh, much less safety, uh, safely. Um, third is that the teen new drivers look at the perimeter of the car. They're trying not to hit anything. So what they don't do is they don't look down the road at the developing traffic situation, which is how you avoid a crash. And the last thing is that teens are learning to navigate and to drive at the same time. Think about yourself as, a, as an experienced adult driver. You go to a new place and you rent a car. You're looking up at the street signs. You're trying to figure your way around. You're, try, you're learning to navigate in that place. Well, think about learning to drive and learning yeah. how to get to where you're going at the same time. It's a, it's a very challenging thing. So th there's no shortcuts. It just takes years and years to create a safe driver and well that, uh, that creates kind of a, a chicken and the egg problem and it, yes, yes it it's going to take three years but how are we going to get them those three years in a safe way we're not going to wrap the car in bubble wrap or wrap them in bubble wrap i mean how do you well, no, they, how can you, you get certainly them want to encourage uh, lots of experience but the point is don't think that when they get their license when they pass the road test and the state issues them a license that they're a safe teen driver that that's the that's the mindset that I try to encourage parents of teen drivers to adopt. Well, I think in, in California, and I'm sure that this is going on other places, they have a kind of acknowledged what you're talking about by saying that teens at the age of 16, I guess they can't drive with other teens in the car unless they're 18. They can get a license at 15 and a half, but it's, so you're not really allowed to have other passengers, which is, uh, I think, an Correct. interesting and, and thing. And there are other aspects of what is called graduated driver licensing or, or 
GDL and, and passenger limits is, is part of it, uh, night curfews, uh, minimum training hours, no electronic devices, mandatory seatbelts. Those are all part of the, the so-called GDL system, which is designed to prevent teens from getting involved in the most dangerous, the statistically most dangerous activities in the first two years, two and a half, three years of driving. So that, that is a, uh, that's a system that is in place in varying degrees around the United States, but it tries to take direct aim at the, uh, the major causes of crashes. What are the, the major things? I'm think, just thinking of texting or talking on the phone or turning around and, and looking at somebody. Uh, what what well, are the other ones? Distraction is a big part of it, but believe it or not, passengers uh, is emerging in a lot of the research as the main culprit uh, because uh, it's very a very um, uh, clear statistical trend. Each passenger in a teen driver's car increases the risk uh, about two times. And so if you get a... Uh, a teen driver with two, three, four teen passengers in the car. That, that's a, a crash waiting to happen. And uh, it, it ties in with, with another thing that's sort of just below the consciousness level of many uh, parents. When I bring it up, they kind of have an aha moment. And that's the difference between purposeful driving and joyriding. If a teen has a destination and a reason to get there, a consequence for not getting there on time, going to school, sports practice, a job, whatever, they're probably going to drive conservatively and safely. It's the joyriding. Multiple teens in a car out for fun. That's where we see the risks, the peer pressure, the misconduct, and the distraction. And that, that is a, um, that's a situation that parents just need to do everything they can possibly do to avoid. Yeah, you know, I guess you have to also throw into the mix the general feeling that teen boys in particular, but I think teen girls as well, have that they're pretty much immortal. For, Absolutely. for a while. Well, that, that, that's part of the brain development is they don't appreciate the risk. Uh, you know, the, the simple statistic is 85% of teens understand that texting is dangerous, but 77% think, think they can handle the risk. That, that's a good example of them knowing that it's risky but not reacting in, in, the, in the appropriate way to the level of risk. So what every teen driver should have is a 7-year-old sitting in the back seat saying, hey, put that phone away. Which well, is that, exactly that, what that, my, or, my or a conscience, uh, or, but uh, you know that that brings up the issue of uh, uh, the fact that most passenger laws allow siblings at a much earlier stage uh, in the graduated driver license process than others. But uh, there's no evidence that siblings are more safe as passengers. In fact, there's some evidence that they're more dangerous. And th- there's a great quote that I read: "Do you entrust your most precious cargo to your least experienced driver?" Um, there's been some, just recently in the last two months, some horrific crashes of teen, 16, 17-year-olds driving their younger siblings to school and uh, getting in a crash and killing, killing the sibling. Oy. There's kind of an interesting thing, I think, which uh, you, you deal in, with in the book, but I think it's this, this strange contradiction that we look at our children, we say that our children are the most valuable thing, the most important thing in the world to us. But we don't want to spend a lot of money on child care for them. And, at, and I, you know, so yes, kids are valuable to us. They, we, we love them. But you know what? We need them to help out with the chores or go to the store and get groceries or take their younger sibling to school. And so we're going to give them the keys anyway. How do you get parents to, to stop with that completely contradictory idea? Yeah. Well, the, the, perhaps the first rule of parenting a teen driver is don't put your own convenience ahead of the safety of your teen, and that's something that parents do every day. Uh, and, and ferrying siblings to school is probably the best example. You as a parent have been getting up at whatever hour for 15, 16 years, and now suddenly you have a chauffeur in the house that will make that a lot easier. 
just because it's convenient and you're going to get another half hour of sleep doesn't mean it's a safe practice. And, and certainly don't think that, uh, oh, I'll, I'll get my teenager some additional practice by letting them drive their siblings to wherever to sports practice in school because that's uh, that simply, as you just said, putting your precious cargo into the hands of a very inexperienced driver. So the, you don't put your convenience ahead of your, of your teen's safety is the, is the watchword for parents. Speaking with Tim Hollister, who's the author of Not So Fast, Parenting Your Teen Through the Dangers of Driving, and those dangers include on the cover anyway, control texting, distractions in impaired driving, handle passengers, keys, tickets, and fatigue, set safety rules for every trip, learn when to say no, and much more. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to continue talking with Tim when we get back, and we're going to pick up with some of those ideas I just read about controlling texting and handling passengers. I'm Armin Brott, and you're listening to Positive Parenting. My name's Tyler, and in nine years, I'll be an alcoholic. I'll start drinking in middle school, just at parties. But my parents won't start talking to me about it till high school. Kids who drink before age 15 are five times more likely to have alcohol problems when they're adults. Thing is, my parents won't even see it coming. So start talking before they start drinking. To learn more, go to StopAlcoholAbuse.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, the Ad Council, and this station. You must be your fairy godmother. <laughs> yes. It doesn't take a fairy godmother to tell you that the right fit means everything. Good heavens, child. You can't go in that. Children under four foot nine need to be in a booster seat because they aren't ready for adult safety belts alone. Many parents miss the important step of booster seats. Maybe you better explain things to him. Booster seats raise your child up so that a safety belt designed for adults will fit and protect them properly. Oh. That does make a difference. Remember that four foot nine is the magic number. And get your little pumpkin there safely <laughs> in a booster seat. Hop in, my dear. Oh, thank you. And like Cinderella, you can live happily ever after. It's like a dream. A wonderful dream come true. For more information, visit boosterseat.gov. This has been a message from the U.S. Department of Transportation and the Ad Council. Bullying is not kids being kids. It's not about good homes or bad homes. It's not a normal part of growing up. I shouldn't be afraid to get on the school bus. To turn on my computer. Message. Or walk to my locker. Did you know that a bully will stop his or her behavior in 10 seconds when their peers speak up? Use your voice. Hey, leave him alone. We have the power to stop bullying. Find out more at bullying.org. Where you're not alone. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Broad. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Tim Hollister, who's the author of Not So Fast, Parenting Your Teen Through the Dangers of Driving. Tim, wanted to get into a little bit. We, we mentioned taking younger siblings around and passengers, and, and I was talking about the thing in California where you can't have other teenagers in the car until you're about 18 or so. How do you get teens to understand that they can't do the kinds of things that they think they might be able to handle, the texting and the dealing with the, the squabbling in the back seat, or maybe somebody's got their phone out and they're showing the other passengers pictures, and of course you want to turn around to look at those pictures too. How do you begin to explain that they're not indestructible and that these are problems? Well, among the people who try to get the message across to teens, I would generalize and say there are two approaches out there. One is to show them videos uh, with uh, crumpled metal and blood flying everywhere, you know, the, the crash videos. And 
uh, I, I'm frankly, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a proponent of or a fan of that. The second approach. Wait, you're M- you're not a fan of that. I'm I'm not a fan of that because uh, I think the best I, best example I can give you is we pay money to go to the movies to see those kinds of things. That, yeah. I think that's more uh, of interest to them. Wow, that was really cool. Did you see the way the car got mashed up and the bodies went flying everywhere? I just don't think it has the intended effect. But I, what is effective um, is getting teens to hear the stories of people uh, like myself, but there are many many there are far too many other parents that can tell stories of the consequences for families and siblings and communities when teen drivers make bad mistakes and, and, and engage in misconduct or, or end up in a crash. Um, the, uh, there, there's a very well-known video uh, put out by AT&T called The Last Text, which features oh, yeah. four families uh, of, uh, of, of teens who were killed uh, when they were texting, and th- that's what teens need to hear, is they need to understand the mortality that invo- is involved and the human consequences of bad driver decisions. Yeah. I, I just think that's far more effective than, than the, the so-called bloody videos. Well, you know, I was thinking about those bloody videos because I remember when I was going through driver's training, or driver's ed, they, they showed us these things from, from the, it was called Red Asphalt, I think was one of them, and it was from the Ohio State Police, and it was these horrible crashes, and, and the narrator sort of saying, well, here's Fred, and here's Fred's head across the street, and, and that you're right that those were kind of oh cool instead of oh my god we shouldn't do that but those right. those AT&T commercials wow those things yeah. I, I thought were absolutely a punch in the guts and they really needed to be I mean abs- just really really powerful stuff for, at least for me now how how do teens process that because I mean that hits me as an adult in a different way I think yeah I, I think they I think teens when you, they hear these stories are probably confronting their own mortality for the first time in a real way. Uh, here in Connecticut, we have a, a, a group called Morning Parents Act, Impact. Three mothers who lost their sons in, in a one-month period 11 years ago. And they go to high schools, and they stand up on the stage, just them and a microphone, and talk to the teens about what happened to their families after their sons died. And you can have seven, 800 teens in the audience, and you can hear a pin drop, and nobody's texting, everybody's paying attention, and it just, it just and that in the AT&T video and and the, uh, the the longer Werner Herzog video that just came out, I think are the best examples that we have to get teens to understand what they will leave behind if they engage in uh, dangerous driving behavior and they make a big mistake. All right, let's move on to some of the the practical suggestions that you've got in the book. What are, what do you mean by act like a an air traffic controller? A good way for parents to think about uh, teen driving is to uh, treat it like flying. And I actually got an assist on this topic from uh, Deborah Hersman, the chairman of the National Transportation Safety Board. She actually said that on television a couple of weeks ago. But uh, think of yourself as a parent uh, acting like an air traffic controller. Is Before the teen gets in the car, every time for the first, say, 6, 9, 12 months, what's the destination? What's the route? Is the weather good? Are you rested and ready and stable and ready to undertake this? Responsibility of what you know. What's your plan for passengers? Is your equipment in good shape and so forth? So it's a good, it's a good mindset to keep in mind that you're about to undertake something very dangerous that has no margin for error, like flying. And uh, so act like an air. You, you, the parent, act like an air traffic controller and uh, exercise that measure of control. The the car doesn't take off until you give the clearance for the uh, for the flight. Okay. 
And is that something that teens will generally go along with? Because, I'm sh- again, kind of getting back to this whole idea about for doing things for the parents' expediency, which is something that we all fall into at some point or other. That, I, I'm, oh, not, I'm not saying that know. any of this is easy. Um, oh, no, I know. I'm just wondering, so how do you present that to the to the teen in a way that they're going to do it? I, well, I guess you say, look, you either do it or you don't get the keys. Exactly. Car keys are the parent, parent's ultimate leverage, and there are certain things that just have to be non-negotiable. Um, I, I am, just changing topic slightly, I am a big proponent of parenting driving agreements. There's, there's a model agreement in my, in my book and, and many other good examples uh, across the country. But uh, when, you, when your teen is about to get their license, you sit down with them across the kitchen table in the calm of that setting, and you go over what the rules are, not, not, not ideas or suggestions, but you, something you actually write out, and particularly what, if the law is violated, what is the, what is the result going to be? I will lose my license for X days or weeks. How do you think money plays into this? And I'm thinking for, for some teenagers, they may not really be too terribly concerned about their own physical health because they're going to live forever, of course, and they can make it through any kind of crashes and what you know, it's going to be, it's not going to be a problem. But if you're going to have to pay for your own insurance or you're going to have to pay the deductible should something happen, is that something that hits teens where they live? Every family has to make that decision for themselves, but absolutely driving is expensive, and that's something that, uh, any driver, especially a teen driver, needs to learn uh, early on. Um, you know, it's an interesting statistic that uh, the number of miles driven by teens has dropped fairly precipitously in the last four or five years, and people are speculating as to what the reason is for that. Certainly it's because the cost of gasoline uh, has gone up and, and the recession. And teens, uh, fewer teens have had jobs and therefore less disposable income. Uh, so, you know, in, in a sense, the uh, not having the money to drive is a, is a, a throttle, if you will, on, uh, on teen driving. Now, the question is, as the economy improves, does that, does that correct itself? Uh, we don't know. But, but certainly teens need to understand that, uh, that driving is expensive and bad driving can be economically, financially ruinous to a family because if you're under 18 and you uh, cause a lot of damage, your parents are going to be responsible for that. We've been talking about the actual driving part, but there is, or at least when I was doing it, there was driver's ed and driver's training. And so the driver's ed was coursework and learning about how far you should, how far you have to turn your signals on in advance and you know, railroad tracks, what do you do? The, the kinds of things you'd need to pass a written test on something, which was separate from the actual behind the wheel part. And some of that, I'm pretty sure that driver's ed anyway was a requirement in high school. That seems to be gone now. Um, Correct. It, uh, most driver's ed is now not conducted in the schools. It's conducted by private commercial driving schools. Uh, the thing about driver's ed is it's, it's sort of a contradiction. It's absolutely essential because teens need to know the rules of the road and they need to know how to operate a vehicle. But back to what we, where we started with parents needing to understand the risks, no parent should think that someone who has graduated from driver's ed is a safe driver because they are nothing more than a beginner with a beginner's knowledge of how to drive and how to handle a car. So they, uh, the, the safe driving only comes a couple years and, and uh, much greater brain development down the road than, uh, uh, than when they graduate from driver's ed. Now, you've got a quick chapter in the book about what schools can do. Tell us about that. Well, obviously, teens uh, spend most of their uh, lives in school, and school parking lots uh, it could be analogized to ground zero for the uh, the passenger problem, that's where the teens pile into the car and go off on 
on joy rides. Uh, you know, schools uh, schools have obviously a huge challenge because they have so many different public health issues that they need to deal with. But what I try to encourage schools to do is take some time for teen driving uh, to make things like video contests, uh, awareness, show the AT&T video, bring in groups like Impact uh, with parents that can tell the, the stories. Uh, it, it's, uh, it, it's one among many issues that they need to deal with, but they, they certainly should not neglect it because they, they do have the ability to get the teens in a room and, uh, and uh, feed them the information they need to hear. Tim Hollister is the author of Not So Fast, Parenting Your Teen Through the Dangers of Driving. Tim, is there a website people can go to for more information about this, although the book is quite comprehensive? Yes, uh, the book's website is NSF, as in Not So Fast, nsfteendriving.com, and my blog is from reads, R-E-I-D-S, dad.org. Tim Hollister, thanks so much. Great to have you. My pleasure. Ever notice when you have a baby, everyone seems to give you advice? From your mother-in-law, don't you know you can't take that baby out in the rain today? And where is her hat? To your own parents. You should take the baby outside every day, even in the rain. To your friends. You have got to get this diaper cream. It is so much better than the one you've been using. When it comes to the important stuff, like immunizations and protecting my baby's health, I trust my baby's doctor. She really listens to my questions about shots, she gives me great information, and she works with me to make sure my baby gets protected. And that's something even my mother-in-law can agree with. Honey, I totally support you getting the baby vaccinated. But really, shouldn't you put the baby's hat back on? A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat. It's time for another Parents at Play segment. And as usual, joined by Sam Fuse, my partner on the Parents at Play newspaper column. And Sam is going to talk to us a little bit about dolls, which I wouldn't have thought would be something, long ago I wouldn't have thought it would be something that dads could possibly be interested in, but it really is something, we'll we'll talk about that too, it's really more for the whole family, but fire away, Sam, talk about Doc McStuffins. Doc McStuffins is really hot right now. Little girls and many boys really love Doc McStuffins. Doc McStuffins is a TV show where the, the child pretends to be a doctor and is really involved with her fantasy, and she treats her stuffed toys. It's it's really encouraging children to kind of not only, like, reach for the stars, because it's a positive role model. She's a a, a good kid. She works hard. She gives positive attitudes, and she's kind to her friends and kind to her toys. You said Doc McStuffins is is incredibly popular now, sort of a a newish one. And then there's Hello Kitty that you had a chance to to take a look at. And Hello Kitty has been around forever, but they just don't seem to go away. I have to admit that I am a huge fan of Hello Kitty, even being that I'm not, you know, five or six or seven years old. But Hello Kitty has, like many toys, evolved. And there is a new line coming out. There is a fully articulated Hello Kitty, which has never been made before. So she can move and move her arms, move her legs, move her waist. Other Hello Kitties that I thought were adorable uh, included the Color Me Plush. Um, It's cuddly. It's cute. It comes with a special marker so that your child can use it and color it either purple with its purple outfit or pink with its pink outfit. Wait, so you're, you're drawing right on the doll? Directly on the doll, yeah. Okay. And you can design it yourself, make your own designs. 
So he had one more, another, I have to say, another doll that I had never heard of, Pinky Cooper. What's with her? Pinky Cooper is one of my favorite dolls that I've seen not only this year, but in a really long time. Pinky Cooper is a dog and a doll. She's a fashionista who likes to travel. So she's a puppy doll, um, but she's got like a human body and she still has like long flowing hair slash ears. Um, they have a full fashion line. So if your daughter is into fashion, likes to have uh, different clothes on her dolls, maybe likes to have like the closet with everything organized, she can totally do this with Pinky Cooper. She, Pinky Cooper has friends. She also has pets. So Pinky Cooper has a pet puppy, and all her friends also have pet puppies. The puppies have accessories. The dolls have accessories. Even the puppies, the, the pets, are fashion conscious. You can change their little ears. And something I loved, loved, loved about this line, the doll isn't trashy. So many dolls right now have yeah, the short yeah. skirts, the high-cut boots. Some of them even have thongs on them, and that just really disturbs me on a deep level. No, me this too. Doll- I, I really appreciated that that actually was... I mean, it's not like Amish or somebody, right. something incredibly conservative, but it, it's it's reasonable. You can read our full reviews of the dolls that Sam just talked about, or you can get reviews of all sorts of other stuff that we've done in our column, Parents at Play, and you can get that at parentsatplay.com. For Samantha Fuse, I'm Armin Brunt. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.